0: Acts Chapter Two This Morning (laughs) Acts Chapter Two is
1: sometimes falsely referred to as the birthday of the Church. It is not.
0: The church began when Jesus started his earthly ministry. Your Bibles, this will be immediately after the baptism of John. The Bible says he goes out and begins to preach that the kingdom of heaven
1: is at hand, and that is the beginning of the church.
0: Jesus was the first pastor, his disciples, the first church members. What we have in Acts chapter two is a transition. We had Jesus on the cross, uh, dead, buried,
1: and then resurrected. <clears throat> after his resurrection, he spent how many days with the disciples? Forty, 40 days. Forty days with the disciples uh, while he was teaching them. After that, they had received the Holy Spirit. Things that would be brought to their memory once the Holy Spirit was activated. Once the power of the Holy Spirit was activated. Then we have in Acts chapter 1, which we spoke about a couple weeks ago, where the Lord uh, ascended up into heaven in the cloud after giving them their final um, sort of commission. There in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, which says, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. So we have in Acts chapter 2, is the first time that the church is functioning without the physical embodiment of Christ on the earth. Christ is there in spirit. Christ is there in every other way, just not in a place where our eyeballs can physically see him.
0: So this is the transition where the authority shifts
1: to the disciples, which are now considered apostles. There are 11 disciples left because of what happened with Judas Iscariot. They become apostles. They vote to replace one of the apostles, a man named Matthias. And we have in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Now, those of you who have been following along on our Wednesday night series may remember the day of Pentecost is a day of great significance because it's one of the seven feasts of Leviticus 24. In Leviticus 24, you see those feasts and how they depict things that will have happened. And this was one of those days, the day of Pentecost, and it depicts what we're about to read about. So it is a huge transitional phase for the New Testament age, but it is not the birthday of the church. It says in verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So we know Acts chapter 2 is a day of incredible significance. A lot of really important things happen, but the first thing that's pointed out to us is the condition
0: of the church members. It's the first thing we see. We see, firstly, that they were all in one accord. To be in one accord
1: means to be in harmony of minds. That's what it means. For a church to be in harmony of minds, we have to all come together for the purpose of worshiping and serving Christ. That's how we're all in one accord. If we all come to church In various different places of mind, we cannot be in one accord. If we begin to get ready for church and we head over to church and our minds haven't shifted into that transition of whatever it is I'm doing for the church, I'm not doing for the church, I'm doing for the Lord. Your mind needs to transition to, I'm not doing this for the pastor, I'm doing this for the Lord. And whatever we do for the Lord ought to be our best effort. It ought to be the very best we can do. It ought to be the most important thing we do all week long. That is where our minds should be. That's how we're all in one accord. We have to all be in one accord. In music, harmony is when different parts come together to make one whole sound. The same is true of the church and its worship of the Lord. We're all made to be unique. We don't all have to dress the same. We don't all have to talk the same. We don't all have to have the same personality or attitude. It would be a pretty boring world if we were all the exact same. But it is like harmony in music. We all approach worship from different ways of thinking, but we come together in harmony of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wouldn't ask you to behave the way that I behave. I wouldn't ask you to speak the way that I speak, to dress the way that I dress. We're all unique in our own ways.
0: But we come to the Lord in those different ways, and it ought to harmonize. You see, a lot of problems a lot of
1: churches have nowadays is they think the only way to have harmony is for all people to be hitting the same note. And you can hit the same note, but in different ranges, right? And a lot of churches think you need to hit the same note in the same range, and that's the only way to have harmony. Well, that's not harmony. There ought to be a variety. There ought to be lower notes, somebody hitting those bass tones and somebody hitting those, those higher notes. And there are different parts
0: of music that are to be sang. There are different keys on the piano that need to be hit in order to make a chord, And in churches, and in worship of the Lord, we're all different, and it ought to be able to come together under the Lord, under truth, not throwing away truth for the purpose of getting along, but harmony,
1: that we all come to the truth in our own personality, in our
0: own uniqueness, and we worship the Lord as he's asked us to, as he's made us. To be in one accord doesn't require
1: you to act or talk like anybody else. It just requires us all to come to the Lord. We're all in our minds coming to the same place. We're all coming to God. And if we do that, we can be in one accord. And it's easy to not do. And that sounds terrible, but it's true. It's easy to not do. It's easy to get busy if you've got kids or if you've got a busy morning, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. It's easy to not do this for the Lord. It's easy to do it because it's just what you do. It's, it's Sunday morning. It's what I do. I get up, get things ready. I, I you know, I get myself dressed. I, I get my Bible together. I come to church. Just what I do. And even as we're getting this place ready for church, you would think setting out chairs and setting up cameras and all the work that we do to transform this place into a church would make it so much easier for us to be aware of the fact that we're serving and worshiping the Lord. But it's easy to forget about even here, because as we're doing things, we're getting the camera set up, we're trying to get the kids dressed for church in the morning, we're trying to get ourselves ready and There's donuts to be purchased, and there's there's all kinds of busyness to be done. I've got to print out the lessons and prepare the classroom for the teachers, and there's so much to be done and getting the coffee ready and so forth that it's easy to get into a routine. You let your mind go in neutral, and you just sort of do what you do because it's a Sunday morning, and it's important, and I try to emphasize this to people, it's important to remember and to be conscious of
0: the fact that everything we do on a Sunday morning should be about the Lord. When we do it for the church, we do it for the Lord, and we ought to keep that
1: mindset. We're all in one accord that way. Where does conflict come in
0: in a church? It's where somebody's not coming to the Lord with the rest of us. They've veered off the beaten path. You don't pay attention to, to the road, you're gonna veer off into the ditch, right? Same thing's true with your Christian walk. They were all in one accord, and they were all in one place. It's necessary.
1: It's necessary for every Christian to attend the meeting
0: of their local church. Absolutely necessary. In order to grow their faith and in their knowledge of the Lord and his
1: word. And I've had a lot of people. I used to work with a guy um, years and years ago when I was delivering pizzas. And uh, he was a Christian, I was a Christian, but he didn't believe in going to church. He said, you don't need to go to church and you don't need a Bible teacher. He's telling me that the the Bible says the Holy Spirit gives you everything you need. You don't need a Bible teacher. But my response to that always was, if I don't need a Bible teacher and I don't need to go to church, then why did they institute churches while they were writing these books? The men who were writing about the Holy Spirit giving you the fruits of the Spirit, which is what he was talking about, which isn't
0: everything, it's the fruits of the Spirit. And while he's talking about that, In that book, he's writing it to a church, right? He's an apostle. He helped start that
1: church. The Bible doesn't teach you that you don't need church. As a matter of fact, it teaches the opposite. It teaches you that you do need church. Everybody needs church. Now, you've heard me say before, if you don't feel like coming to church, don't go to church. And I believe that too. You say, well, isn't that contradictory? It's not. Because Jesus teaches, and He tells one of the seven churches in the Book of Revelation, be either hot or cold, neither lukewarm. Don't come to church because it's just what you're supposed to do. It's what you do, right? Like the commercial. <clears throat> Those uh, I don't know if it's insurance or whatever it is. Those little funny commercials they say, you know, it's what you do,
0: but don't come to church with that, right? If you don't want to come to church, don't come to church. You can't grow to miss church that way. You're making yourself come every Sunday. You'll never
1: get to a point where you want church. If you don't want church and you're making yourself come, it's a bit like uh, I used to love pizza. And I still love pizza. And there was a time in my younger years where I could literally eat pizza three times a day every day of the week. Just love the stuff. Until I got a little older, evidently my appetite developed a little bit and I would have pizza that often. And eventually I got to the point where I didn't want anything to do with pizza.
0: Right now, what would happen if I continued to make myself eat it anyways? I would grow to hate the stuff. What's happening in our churches today? What do parents tell their kids? You're coming to church, whether you
1: want to or not. And as a young child, as children, I make my kids come to church. When they near adulthood, that's a decision they make for themselves. If I tell my kids, you're coming to church anyways, when they hate church, they don't want anything to do with it, which is an indication of the church, by the way,
0: what's going to happen? You have a generation come up that will learn to hate church. We need to get to a place where we let people grow a little cold, be hot or cold. Let people miss coming to church. That's the purpose of if you don't want to come to church, don't come to church. But church is necessary and important for every Christian.
1: They were all in one accord in one place. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Paul here writing to Timothy about how he ought to behave himself in the house of God. There is a certain level of maturity. There's a certain
0: level of, shall we say, sobriety. There's a certain level of reverence that ought to come with our church behavior. You'd say, well, it says the house
1: of God. How do we know that's the church? Well, we us keep reading the verse. It says, which is the church of the living God. Let's say, so, well, how do we know the church is supposed to be how we know about God? Can't we do that by ourselves? Well, we'll keep reading again. It says, which is the the pillar and
0: ground of truth? There in 1 Timothy 3.15. Everything you need to know about the church right there in Scripture. It's also important to note that you don't only go to church because you need church. Right? It's important to understand that you go to church because the church needs you. Each and every person that makes up the membership of this
1: church serves a very important function in this church.
0: If the Lord were to remove one person, there would be a huge hole. It would not be the same. We have a couple of people out this morning.
1: There's a hole. How long did it take me to get the stream working? It took me several seconds of silence up here, by which time many people had probably already clicked off the video and aren't watching anymore. Because there's a hole, because Josh is not feeling well this morning. He couldn't be here.
0: He serves a vital function, right? When he's gone, there's a big hole, not just in how he serves the
1: church, but also in how their personalities make up the family unit that
0: is this church.
1: When somebody's missing, it's like a piece of the family's missing, right? The church
0: needs you as much as you need the church,
1: 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, but now hath God set the members, every one of
0: them, in the body as it hath pleased him. If God has called you to a church, he's called you to that church because the church needs you, and you serve an important function there. Notice it said in
1: verse 2 of Acts chapter 2, suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There came a sound from heaven. Notice from which direction the sound was coming.
0: It was coming from heaven. Anything that comes from heaven is something that is full of truth, it's full of light, and it's full of righteousness. If it fills you with doubt, if it fills you with darkness, or it fills you with selfish thoughts, then it's not from heaven. 3 John 1.11 says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. John 8, 43 says, Why do you not
1: understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Jesus talking here. He says, You are of your father, the devil,
0: and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not
1: in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. You ever known somebody who says, "Eh, that's a little too honest, I don't know about that. Or somebody comes up to them and, and they're an honest person and they're speaking to them honestly and they're telling them up front and they're just not used to
0: people being honest. So they're like, nah, he's hiding something. I don't know about that. That's a little too honest. When somebody's not used to honesty, we ought to consider the source of that person. Jesus says
1: those that refuse to hear the truth are of their fathers, the devil. Who are we pattering our lives after? Are we making a father out of our heavenly father? Or are we toddling after the devil
0: as though he were our father? You're a
1: Christian. You have a heavenly father in God.
0: But sometimes we behave like we have a father in the devil, don't we? Be cautious of those things we choose to follow, what it fills us with. There
1: are kinds of music that are good, and there are kinds of music that aren't so good to listen to. How you know the difference is how they affect you. Right?
0: David plays the harp, and it removes the evil spirit from Saul, right? That's a good kind of music it's, It has to be said, uh, Moses and Joshua coming down from the mountain,
1: and they see uh, the Israelites uh, naked, doing things in mass that people shouldn't be doing. Uh, Also, worshiping false gods down there naked, and and they say they hear a noise of war. The other one says, it's not a noise of war you hear, that's music. And that kind of music was what they were listening to while doing all of these things they shouldn't be doing. So, a kind of music that affected them negatively. Music has that effect. Other things can have that effect on us as well. We live in a more modern age of entertainment, the kind of entertainment we consume can be positive or negative. I'm not one of these preachers that's gonna stand up and say all video games are evil because I don't think they are. I play some video games, but I play some things that are um that are
0: not full of sinful things. It's like television or movies or anything else. What you choose to consume will put something in you. Right? We ought to be cautious of this thing of consuming things that, that have stuff in them that we wouldn't do ourselves. Because it'll put something in you, the things that you consume. Wind,
1: because the Holy Spirit reveals himself as wind, a rushing mighty wind, is something that moves and interacts within our world but cannot be seen.
0: When we hear the wind, we actually hear the effects of the wind. Right? We can't actually hear the wind itself. The whistling and the howling of the
1: wind, that's actually the way the wind is blowing through something or around something. That's not the wind
0: itself. It's the effect the wind has on the environment around us. We can't touch, we can't smell, and we can't taste the wind, but we know it's there. The same is true
1: about the Holy Spirit. We may not be able to see or hear him but like the wind we can see the effects of the holy spirit as it interacts with our world. There are all kinds of examples of this. We see uh, miraculous things happening. Right the scientific world endeavors to explain them away in
0: various ways but not effectively. There are some things in this world that cannot be explained. It's okay. They can still hear me. (laughs) So there are some things about the Holy Spirit
1: that, that, and the way it interacts with our world, that can't be explained away like it's something else that's not the Lord. The interaction of the Holy Spirit is around us. It wasn't just a wind, but a rushing, a mighty wind. A light breeze on a beautiful spring morning can be relaxing and refreshing. But a strong enough wind can cause enough damage to destroy entire buildings and lift cars into the air. I remember our pastor telling us a story one time about how a a tornado had picked up a piece of straw. And they found out the next morning that it had taken that piece of straw and put it through a telephone pole. Just a piece of straw.
0: That's the power of wind. A rushing, mighty wind can do a lot of damage. The Holy Spirit can be a source of refreshing of the soul to the
1: believer, but it can also prove to be a mighty force to reckon with as it is God. The Holy Spirit is God, and he's mighty, and he's powerful. But to those that trust in him,
0: it can be also be a source of refreshing, a source of relaxing. Notice this rushing mighty wind as it entered the house. It filled the house, the
1: Bible says. It filled all the house. The rushing mighty wind, which was the Holy Spirit manifesting itself in that moment, is what filled the house. The Holy Spirit doesn't fill a place, but it can fill a person or even a group of believers as it functions today. Ephesians 5.18 says, And
0: be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with With the Spirit. That we ought to be filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit quite simply just means allowing more of
1: God's influence inside of you. And the more you allow God to influence you in that moment, the more the Holy Spirit can fill you and use you in that moment.
0: Verse 3 says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon
1: each of them. The cloven tongue represents the twofold nature of the Christian's use for the tongue. You ever heard of a person that speaks out of both sides of their mouth? It's the same kind of thing. The first is for us to express our own thoughts and ideas which ought to align with that which the Lord teaches us is right in his own eyes. The second is when the Holy Spirit uses our mouth to express the very thoughts and ideas of God himself. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, let's take a man like, um, like Isaiah, or, uh, or let's, let's take one maybe a little better known. Let's take Jonah. We'll take Jonah, right? Now, when Jonah finally makes it to that city, he walks all the way through that city. He says eight words.
0: And that's all he says. He says eight words and he leaves, but those eight words belonged (laughs) to God.
1: You may not agree with most of what Jonah did or the decisions that he made, and rightly so, but those eight words, there is no denying, they belonged to God. Because they were used so mightily, just eight words. And they were used so mightily that an entire city of Pagan worshiping, godless people repented and got right with God that they were introduced to by eight words of the prophet who left the city and went on top of the hill so he could watch God burn the place to the ground.
0: Now, when that didn't happen and they repented and got right with God and God forgave them, Jonah got upset. And he began to argue with God. Now, we see Jonah's mouth
1: being used for two completely different purposes, right? We see Jonah's mouth being used for his own words, and then we see him using his mouth for God's words. Now, unfortunately, in Jonah's case, he did not use his own words to try and align himself with God. But when he went into that city and spoke those eight words, that absolutely was God's words. A cloven tongue.
0: When we speak,
1: most of the time we're speaking what we think. As Christians, that is 99%
0: of what we do. But there is that 1% of the time where the Lord will sort of fill us when we allow him to. And as we're witnessing to somebody or we're speaking to somebody about spiritual matters, it's absolutely God's words. That's the cloven tongue. 2 Samuel
1: 23 says, Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. (laughs) David saying that there were occasions when he spoke or he wrote a psalm that it wasn't his words that it was God overshadowing him and speaking through him. Second Peter 1.21 says, The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved
0: by the Holy Ghost. Notice at the bottom of verse 4 of Acts <laughs> chapter 2, it talks about how the Spirit gave them utterance. This is them And their mouths and their voice and their tongue being used by God to get his word out. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 20, it tells us the story of the prophet Jeremiah who felt as though God had deceived him
1: when he finds out that nobody in his own time would repent and get right with God as a result of his preaching. Now, how would you like to find out by God That your entire career, your entire life's work would never matter while you were alive. You would never see any results, anything happen from the work that you did your whole
0: life. That's what Jeremiah was going through. He felt tricked by God. He came to God and he said, there in Jeremiah 20, thou hast deceived me and I was deceived. So he says, I will no more, I will not make any mention of him, nor speak any more
1: in his name. That was the decision Jeremiah came to, this prophet of God who felt as though God had wasted his time. I'm not speaking about God anymore, I'm done. The Bible says, his word, Jeremiah says, was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. He said, I couldn't help but speak about my God. I couldn't keep it inside. You ever met somebody who is a real uh, grammar police kind of person? You ever known somebody like that? You ever kind of mess with them on purpose? Just because they get on your nerves about it a little bit? You throw some ain'ts in there a little more than you usually do. Maybe you you, you, you mispronounce it a couple of times. You're just messing with them a little bit. You, you, they, know, they know that you're doing that probably at some point, but you can see the face kind of turning red. You see the mouth is quivering because it wants so badly to speak. It's just, man, they are dying to... The, I, 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 you know, sometimes me and my dad have... Um, debates. They're not arguments. They're just things that we are on opposite sides of the fence of, and we enjoy having those conversations. Sometimes he'll say stuff that he knows gets under my skin, just so
0: he'll get a reaction from me. And I understand, no, believe me, I understand, because it works every single time. He's very good at it.
1: I will absolutely say the thing he's trying to get me to say every <laughs> single time. I can't help it. It just blurts out of me. But that's what Jeremiah was going through here. He's trying to not say these things, but it's so burning inside of him.
0: He just can't help it. And it just starts to burst out of him. And he begins to speak the things of God. You know, we can for a while try to avoid the Lord in our life, but he's everywhere.
1: Everywhere you go, he's there. You don't have to go to church and you're trying to avoid the Lord. But man, let me tell you, every time you see a rock, that's a reminder that he's the rock of your salvation. I tell you, every time you're passing a building and you see a vine climbing up the side of that building, that's a reminder that he's the true vine. Every time maybe if you go in that donut shop or it's a bakery or my wife sometimes will bake bread here and you smell that bread that's a reminder that he's the
0: bread of life every time you see that Welch's grape juice if it's not Welch's don't buy it that family has a great history there's a reason the word grape juice exists just because of that family they created grape juice so that people could have communion without having to have wine But every time you see that grape juice sitting in the fridge, it reminds you that this is my blood which is shed for you. This do in remembrance of me. So you can go anywhere in the world,
1: and you'll still be surrounded by reminders of God. There was a village one time that was being attacked. I can't remember which uh War in particular it was, but these invaders were coming into this village, and they were destroying this village, and they were tearing down the churches, and they were tearing down the crosses, and they were tearing down all of the religious things because they didn't believe in what the Christians believed in. And they stopped the people in that town, and they pointed to them, and they said, we're going to tear down everything that reminds you of
0: your God, to which the villagers replied, then you had better tear down the stars as well. You cannot go anywhere in this world without God coming with you as a Christian. It's shut up within us. We can try to avoid it for a while, but at some point, it just comes out of you. And you just can't help it. And then we see in verse 4,
1: the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak
0: with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, in the Bible, most of the time, the word tongues means languages, like it does
1: here. They weren't speaking gibberish while the Holy Spirit
0: translated. They were speaking in their own language, and each man heard it in their native language. That was the miracle. 1 Corinthians
1: 13.8 says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Not that the prophecies themselves should fail, but that the prophets should stop giving them. There will be no more prophecies at a certain point. We've got a completed Bible. We don't need prophecies anymore. Whether there be uh, tongues, it says, they shall cease. So like the prophecies we mentioned before, at some point the speaking of tongues ceases as well. The Bible says right there, plain and clear, in First Corinthians 13, 8, that at some point we will no longer need the speaking of tongues. Why? Because we have a completed Bible. Whether there be knowledge, they shall vanish away. There are some things we don't have the answers for. The day, the time, and the hour the Lord's going to return. You see some of these people out there that are setting dates— and their people will sell all their possessions, sell their houses, their cars, and everything, and they'll go sit in a field and wait for the Lord to return on that day, time, and hour.
0: And then when they actually wake up the next morning, they're homeless. The Bible says, No man knoweth the day, the time, or the hour. The Holy Spirit may not give us the power to speak in other languages. Or
1: any of the other miraculous things we read about in the Bible. But it does give us the gift
0: of clarity. The gift of understanding. And the gift of benevolence. These things
1: we receive from the Bible. And these gifts, by the way, are far more valuable. You see, what we're interested in when we talk about these gifts is that we're interested in doing something somebody else can't do. We want to have, like, a superpower. We want to be, like, have this really cool ability that nobody else can have. We want to be able to speak in tongues or be able to just heal people by hitting them on the forehead really hard. You know, we want one of these amazing powers. We have some pretty amazing things that God has given us, but for some people it's not enough because it doesn't make them special enough. But the gifts of clarity, of understanding, and especially the gift of benevolence
0: are the far more valuable gifts we receive from Scripture. And then we begin to see the reaction
1: of devout men in verse 5. <coughs> it says, There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold! Are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue where we were born? And what we see for the next uh, three verses is a list of all the different nations that are present at that time. Let me tell you, there is some significance to this list. The people that were there because they're in Jerusalem. And it's sort of a hub. It's a central place in Israel where if people are traveling from around the world, and they happen to travel to Israel, they're going to travel to Jerusalem, first and foremost. So it is filled with people from every nation around them. And the kind of people that were there were very significant. The kind of people that heard Peter on that day preach, very significant, because they went out with that message to all these different nations when they went back home. But in verse... uh, 11, he says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? What meaneth this? They were amazed. Every man heard them speak in his own language. The nature of this miracle has been grossly misunderstood. Many denominations base their church doctrine on their thinking that the miracle of tongues has anything to do with the tongues of the apostles at all. So I will receive, I got like a piece of paper on my car one time. I pulled it off and it was these like, almost like news articles. You could tell a church had written up about these different uh, foreigners that had gone to these uh, sort of uh, charismatic churches. And how they were able to understand the person that stood up and spoke in tongues very clearly as though they were speaking in their own language. Like when they started speaking, just, like you've been in there, they just stand up and they just start like just speaking like they're
0: like an infant. That's
1: not a language. Right. But they, they had these articles about how people can hear them speaking as though they accidentally started speaking their language. And evidently, they slipped into Russian or, you know, Mandarin or one of these other languages as they were doing that. As though God gave a miracle upon their tongue. The miracle of tongues has nothing to do with actual tongues. In the same way that the miracle of the sun standing still didn't mean the sun actually stood still. If it did that, gravity would stop working and everybody would have floated off into space. Right? That's the way it looks. So that's what they called it. They say the sun stood still because from their perspective, that's what it looked like. In the same way, they call it a miracle of tongues because that's what it seemed like. It seemed like they were speaking their languages. But that's not what was happening. God didn't bless the tongue. He blessed the ear. He didn't bless the tongue of the apostles. He blessed the ears of the listeners. These men were not speaking other languages. They were speaking their own language, but the men around them were each hearing the apostles in the language that they understood. This miracle was upon the ears of the listeners, not upon the tongue of the speakers. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us the rules that Paul set for the church if anybody's going to speak in tongues or other languages. 1 Corinthians 14.27 says, If any man speak in an unknown tongue whether on purpose or accidental, right? Let it be
0: by two or at the most by three and that by course. 27 and 28. Well, what he's saying there is there's supposed to be some structure and some order. There's going to be
1: two, maybe three. They each take turns. There's a specific time they're supposed to stand up and do this. That is not at all what these churches do if you've been to one of these churches you know the preacher will be standing up speaking like i am now and somebody will just pop up and they start talking the preacher stops talking he steps back he lets them do their mess and then when they're done they sit down he continues on and they will randomly do this throughout the church service this violates the first rule that paul set that we just read about
0: two maybe three and that in order he goes on there's more. Let one interpret. So you can't just stand up and speak in another language. There must be an interpreter present. Let there be an
1: interpreter. Because, hey, that's great for that one guy that speaks Russian in the back of the church. But what about the, you know, 40, 50 other people in that church that day that aren't getting anything? That wasn't what happened in the miracle, was it? Every man heard in their own language. Everybody didn't start here with Russian, did they? They all heard in their own language. Let there be an interpreter present. Verse 28 says, but if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. And let him speak to himself and to God. It's almost like Paul like, saw the future and saw what these guys were going to be doing and wrote out
0: perbatim, don't do this. And they still wind up doing it. That's why we take our doctrine straight from the Bible. We're not going to just make it up as we go. But notice it said in verse 12 of our passage there, they hear him, these, they hear
1: him speak in tongues, and they were all amazed and were in doubt. What does that mean? It means that they were amazed and confused. Maybe you've heard that before. That's what wonder is they were all filled with a sense of wonder that had just experienced it kids at christmas time experience this a lot and it's really great for kids at christmas time because they don't really understand how all the magic works but they're so excited that it works right you remember like when you started to become an adult and you felt like all the magic in the world was starting to be zapped away god puts it back there are things we're never going to understand. We don't know. We're going to continue to learn about them throughout eternity. But it puts some of that magic back in the world. The wonder of Christmas permeates the entire year of a Christian. Because we don't celebrate Jesus just during Christmas time, we celebrate Jesus
0: all year long. And the wonder of Christmas can keep with us all year long. They may not
1: have understood how it was happening, but that's what wonder is. It's a sense of delightful confusion, and it reminds us that there are still some beautiful and wonderful things in the world that are beyond
0: us, some things that just can't be explained. These men were happy to discover
1: that there were still some things about God to be discovered and experienced, but not
0: everyone felt this way. Because in verse thirteen of Acts chapter two, it says, Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. They were in other words saying these they're just drunk
1: is what they're they were explaining away, ah, they're just drunk. Which one? The ones performing the miracle, the ones experiencing the miracle, which ones are drunk? Just these men. So, whether for a need to make sense out of their lives or for a growing hatred of the hypocritical and greedy form of worship the Pharisees had invented, these mockers felt the need to belittle the miracle of tongues, thus throwing cold water on the flickering flame of enthusiasm that others were feeling.
0: Whatever this was made them feel uneasy, the mockers. And so they felt
1: the need to say that it was something in order to explain it away, to make themselves feel better. But all it did was discourage those around them. In closing this morning, I want to remind you to be
0: careful. Be careful this holiday season. We used to be a part of a church that every year the pastor would come up and uh, would tell a big Christmas, the big Christmas secret to
1: all the kids. Now, we're live, so I'm not going to go into much greater detail than that, but there is a thing. Kids learn about things as they grow up they haven't quite learned about yet.
0: And he would make it his point to announce it to all the children in the church. That serves no point but discouragement. That serves no good to any
1: Christian anywhere. Let's be careful whether we're talking to children, adults, our elders, that our need for control and our need for answers doesn't squash the enthusiasm of others. And I'll leave you with this verse. Proverbs seventeen twenty-two says, A married heart doeth good like a medicine, but
0: a broken spirit drieth the bones. Be careful which one you are.
1: That is our Sunday school lesson for this morning. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys watching,
0: and we'll be back, uh, let's say, five after for the morning service. Thank you.